0: Hello I'm Andrew Suskind and I'm a psychotherapist based in Los Angeles specializing in trauma and addiction. Welcome to our podcast which is called It's Not About the Sex, also the name of my recent book. Here we focus on all topics related to compulsive sexual behavior often referred to as sex addiction. In particular we explore ways to build long-term sustainable recovery. Our intention is to offer fresh viewpoints brand new perspectives, and practical tools toward living a deeply connected life. Let's get started. Today we have my friend Sue Merlino back in the studio with us, and Sue is going to be interviewing me about what I call Cultivating Contentment, which is one of the chapters from my book, It's Not About the Sex. Welcome, Sue. It's always awesome to see you.
1: It's great to be here, Andrew. And the word contentment, to me, just it's like screams status quo. But it'd be interesting to dive a little deeper into this. Um,
0: well, why don't we start there since you mentioned that? Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I actually think in a way it is status quo, but it's status quo with some pizzazz. Oh, okay. Because there's been a lot of research these last few decades, especially about happiness and also about joy. And I have nothing against happiness and joy. believe me. I, I wish I had more of it in my life on a daily basis. But I personally don't feel like happiness and joy are sustainable, right? I feel like they're more like fleeting moments or an experience that I get to have for a finite period of time. But for some reason, I've landed on the word contentment because I feel like it's more sustainable. And what it really says to me is is that I feel peaceful, that I feel comfortable in my skin,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that I feel regulated, like we've talked about before with the nervous system. So that's where I come from with contentment.
1: Okay. So it's positive contentment.
0: Oh, for sure.
1: Because, I mean, it's not like you're just dialing, dialing it in, so to speak. You're You're aware of it, right?
0: It's kind of like active versus passive in a way, Mm -hmm. it's it's acknowledging when I'm feeling a little more buoyant inside of me or a little more resilient. But it's also saying, well, how can I stretch that out and really feel contentment with my experiences, with my career, with my friends, with my loved ones, etc. So that it's something that ultimately can be part of every day. Like for instance, one thing that I think of when I think of contentment is gratitude. Like gratitude has definitely has a positive charge to it. What did you say? Yeah. Yeah. And gratitude is kind of an example of if I'm mindfully grateful for something, then I can check in and say, Oh, that, that feels really nice inside. That feels really pleasant. And, I don't know about you, but nice and pleasant and contentful or content. What's the word that goes along with content? contentment? I guess feeling
1: at peace or just yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. That all of those things are really a wonderfully balanced place right? and has an, a nice lift to it. So that's really where I'm coming from. Oh, I
1: see. And I get like the whole gratitude thing is kind of the more being more aware and contentment is just there.
0: For instance, having you here with me doing this podcast at this very moment brings me contentment. I've known you for many decades Mm -hmm. and we sit here and have this conversation and we're sharing a conversation with a larger audience. And I feel really alive when I'm with you. I feel like there's something very, unique about our relationship. So that's an example of gratitude, right? I'm grateful for our friendship. Mm -hmm. And it it also fuels ongoing contentment.
1: That's great. I was just trying to get the conversation to come back to me. So it worked. (laughs) (laughs) You
0: did a good job.
1: (laughs) Uh, No, I really do appreciate these chats too. And I, I feel as I'm driving back, you know, up the 405 that I, I can reflect back to this moment and really bring that feeling of just like, yes, that was a nice little kind of escape, I guess, from, you know, the day to day. Well, the stuff. word
0: that I also want to add, because that's such a beautiful image you're sharing of the idea of driving up the freeway and holding the experience of us being together so it's internalized. But the word that comes to me is that we become a resource for one another, that hopefully when we think of each other, because we're practically like siblings, uh, family of choice for sure, that there's something in that that helps us feel more alive, more awake, and hopefully more resilient in in our lives. So if I, I think of you and I think of your family and your kids it it automatically puts a smile on my face, and that's really what we're talking about: is those portable resources that become so meaningful and uh, internalized for us.
1: It's great. So I, I'm available for anybody out there listening. <laughs> <laughs> you want to spread the well? <laughs> Let's spread this feeling, yeah, through the airways. So we were talking back; it might have been the first or second podcast um, about. Dr. Marty Seligman. And he was called the father of positive psychology. So tell us more about him and that whole positive aspect.
0: Sure. So the reason I have to talk about Marty Seligman is because he really is an inspiration for me. And he is a a very interesting psychologist who in 1998 became the president of the American Psychological Association. And I didn't know this at the time, but every time a president comes into their term, they get to choose a theme for what they want to focus on in that presidential term. And Marty Seligman, he likes to be called Marty, Marty Seligman chose the term positive psychology. And it had never been talked about in those terms before. He actually coined the term positive psychology. But what's really interesting about him is that in the 60s and 70s, he actually studied and researched learned helplessness. He studied depression and he studied what held people back, deficits, in other words. Mm-hmm. Towards the 80s, 90s, and now the 2000s, he wrote a book called Learned Optimism. He called, another book was called Authentic Happiness. One was about flourishing, and his whole arc of his career has moved into what he calls positive psychology, or what some people might say, what what makes life worth living, or another way of putting it is a reason to wake up in the morning. And so instead of looking at deficits and pathology and what's going wrong, which is part of what psychology is about, and it's important to look at those things, he said, well, what if we look at what's going right. What if we look at people's, he called them signature strengths. And he's actually started a, a master's program at the University of Pennsylvania for positive psychology, the first of its kind. And he also brought together an international community of positive psychologists that didn't even call themselves positive psychologists, but studied things like happiness, and gratitude, and flow, and um, signature strength, and talent, native talents, etc, etc. So I, I talk about Marty Seligman with a lot of reverence, because he really shifted the tide when he became president of the APA. And now there's all kinds of research and study and focus in graduate schools all around the world, literally about what is going right within people and how do we leverage people's natural talents.
1: Yeah. You don't hear too much about that actually in the day-to-day stuff. Right. Um, So So, it'd be important. I I would think to get more of that and in when you generally connect with people and ask them how they're doing, to turn it back. I don't know if you include this in your practice with people um, who are going through crises, w- to have them focus on. This is this something that you're incorporating into your practice? Like, how Let's look at the things that are going right. Yeah, these things are, might not be going right, but let's look at things that are going right.
0: Sure. I mean, just to give you an example, I always ask people in my office when I first meet them, I say to them, when you were growing up, who was there for you? Who was emotionally reliable? And hopefully, the client can come up with some people in their life who were there for them, even if it was just one person. Sometimes they can't, and that's a d- another story. But what we're, what you're really uh, tapping into is this idea that what is, what is it that will help people feel competent in the world, right? You know, I really am always looking for what, what's helping somebody feel capable and competent, right? They may be in crisis, but at the same time, they may be succeeding in in their business ventures, or they may be um, suffering from depression. But at the same time, they have a lot of people who love them and relationships that are, are going well for them. So I always look for a balance. It's really never one or the other, because right. I think it's important to look at the themes and patterns of the past and the blind spots of the past. But more than anything, I want to know how somebody can feel more empowered and how someone can feel agency
1: in their life. Yeah, it's really important. I think we forget about that. Right.
0: So- I do too. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And then we listen to that silly little voice in our head that doesn't really work sometimes. So many people uh, refer to problematic sexual behavior through the lens of the disease model of addiction. Um, How how do you describe it?
0: This is a controversial piece, actually, because for many, many years, many, many decades, actually, the origins of Alcoholics Anonymous talk about alcoholism as a disease and as something that is pathological because disease is pathology. And although I think we're learning more and more about the brain and more and more about how there is some kind of brain issue that, that factors into alcoholism and other addictions, I never want to pathologize or, call sex addiction or problematic sexual behavior a disease, because it's too stigmatizing. Mm-hmm. And I'm way more interested in what are the underlying suffering, what what's the brokenheartedness that has caused the compulsive sexual behavior, rather than to, to label it or categorize it as something wrong or, or disease.
1: Right. Yeah, because that's a negative connotation. Disease. I mean, in society, people see someone with a disease and it's looked at as, yeah, something negative.
0: Part of the challenge is that there are folks in the 12-step rooms who really use that language and feel comfortable with it, that they appreciate what they call the disease model Mm -hmm. And, and even call themselves, they'll say, you know, we're only as sick as our secrets is a, is a common way of talking or a slogan that's used, or, or talking about it as an illness. And there's a difference between chemical dependency like alcohol and process addictions like sex and money and um, food. And so I don't want to create any more stigma or any more shame because there's enough shame to start with. And so the reason why I veer towards calling it problematic sexual behavior or compulsive sexual behavior, even more so than sex addiction, that's not my favorite term, Mm -hmm. uh, is because I think it's less stigmatizing and less shaming. And so whatever we can do to say, well, how can we get underneath that and, and understand what happened that brought you to this place and, and how we're going to open this door of recovery for you. I'm way more interested in, in leveraging their, their strengths and their internal resources.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I like that. In order to uh, cultivate contentment, you believe that the values clarification is a necessary part of the process. So say more about that.
0: So values, in a nutshell, is what matters most to us. So for instance, Sue, if you were to, without thinking too much, just say, what, what matters most to you? What what comes to mind first?
1: So you told me not to think, and then I said... <laughs> and then you think, right? Well, <laughs> oh, let me think. What matters to me most, I would yeah. say health.
0: Okay. And what else?
1: Happiness. Uh-huh. And what contentment? else? Contentment. Contentment. All of those things.
0: Okay. So let's just start with health and happiness, right? Those are two areas that most people would agree with. And so those are core values. And so when we're doing values clarification, what we're doing really is we're trying to get clarity about what is it that you really want in your life? What is it that you want out of your recovery? And how can your goals and action steps support those values so they become the touchstone really and everything else hopefully can support them now it's not always easy to do that sometimes we go off course and and someone may relapse or have some difficulties that take them away from health and happiness but the whole idea is to know that okay so those are your primary highest values let's hold that together And when you go off course, we'll we'll try and see what we can do to bring you back to those.
1: Okay. So do you come up with like descriptions as to like individualize it? Like how, what part of health is important to you? Or do you create like a prescription for that, so to speak?
0: Well, the idea that I think you're getting at is can we break it down even further? So with health, what is it that you are looking for? Emotional health, spiritual health, physical health mental health um and then under each of those what is it that matters most to you right so maybe somebody wants to focus on spiritual health and then we could break that down or somebody wants to focus on physical health and we break that down so we're really talking about the soul searching of what matters most to you and what your highest priorities really are
1: yeah and you had said not to think about it too much, yeah. Um, but I would assume you would want people to really think about it in practice, and I think that exercise in itself is has value, you know. And just creating value around creating values is is important because yeah. unless you're doing that self reflection, you're not even going to be able to get to it. So that's a big part of
0: It really is a soul-searching process. And this is really door-opening, what we're talking about. And the question that I asked before, which I'll repeat, is what matters most to you? So any of you who are listening can ask yourself, what matters most to you? And then you can ask that again, what matters most to you? And it's kind of like wringing out a a wet towel. You want to go through the values clarification with – as many values as possible so it could be health and happiness and relationships and career and i mean it can it usually goes on and on maybe 10 to 15 values really come up first and then we break it down from there and say well where do you want to begin what right. would be most like important here priority list. exactly
1: So in your book, you talk about the life contentment scale, and how does the scale work? And yeah, tell us about that.
0: Sure. So if I can try and share the image of the scale, it really is about like a bar scale, right? Where there's bars. Like a bar graph. Like a bar graph. Thank you. And, And each bar represents a different component of your life. So one might be physical health. One might be career, one might be spirituality. And and in the bar graph, what you do is you rate each part of your life as from zero to 10. And the idea is to look at your level of contentment. And it's kind of like a barometer. It's kind of like, like looking at your whole life and determining where am I feeling most contentment and where am I feeling least contentment. And what it does is it provides a visual for, for you to decide, okay, so I, I really want to work on my friendships. You know, I'm, I'm feeling like I've been neglecting my friendships because I've been out, um, you know, using or, or being sexually compulsive or whatever the case may be. And I really want to focus back on, on friendships, (laughs) Or you might want to focus on on fun, right? Maybe you haven't had fun in lots of years. And so kind of like when we went bowling a couple months mm-hmm. ago, <laughs> how do you cultivate those parts of you that have been neglected? And so the idea is to start to determine what your highest priorities are, what would be some action steps to support those highest priorities and how do you get the ball rolling and, and be accountable to a sponsor or a therapist or a coach who could really hold those intentions with you.
1: But it sounds like you can do a lot of this on your own. I mean, take the first step basically and answer these questions and, and then get the, get the help of others to help you get the action plan and hold you, hold yourself accountable.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. It it's, The exercise is is actually written out in this chapter of my book, and it's meant to be something that you can do on your own, but also share with others, because it's very difficult to hold ourselves sometimes to accountability. But if we have people who we trust and who can really listen to us and hold our intentions with us, it, it makes a big difference.
1: So Jack Canfield shares his ideas about visioning in his book called The Success Principles. Describe this process and how does it help build contentment?
0: So Jack Canfield is a master coach. I mean, he's a guy who's like the coach to the coaches. He's worked with tons of CEOs and top people in their field. And what I like about The Success Principles is he came up with a very organized way of looking at what really provides some leveraging and some trajectory for anybody who wants to move forward in their life, not just people in, in the business world. And he came up with this idea of visioning, which I actually do almost on a yearly basis. And it's an exercise. Again, I borrowed some of it um, in my book, which you can see. And, and, you know, Jack Canfield, um, is very generous with his visioning exercise because he really came up with lots and lots of questions to ask yourself on a deeper level. What is it in my heart of hearts that I really want in my life? And I could add the words in my recovery, right? So in my life and in my recovery. And, So, for instance, I usually do a one-year vision, and the one-year vision is usually at the end of the year, so this is just my style to do it uh, during the holidays, and I try and answer as many of the questions that feel relevant for me, and the questions are things like, in your relationships, what would make them even more satisfying for you, or in your spiritual practice, what is it that would really give it more meaning and significance? So it, it's, it's, these are not easy questions, but they're a way of taking stock of, of, again, everything in our life, just like in the life contentment scale, and to develop a vision for what do I want 12 months from now? So, if I'm doing the visioning exercise today, December the twelfth, (laughs) thirteenth, Friday the thirteenth, actually, Um, I'm looking at what would I like to see in mid-December of Mm -hmm. 2020. So, what's so important to me is that it's not that anything has to happen, but it's simply playing with the possibilities of what could happen knowing that it's an exercise just to open up my heart and to ask myself the questions like, well, what really does matter to me? And in 2019, do I want things to look the same a year from now? Or do I have certain ideas of how things could be that would be more expansive, more grounding, more fun, hopefully, and, and also with more ease. I'm, I'm really all about ease nowadays. And I encourage um, you, Sue, and maybe our listeners to consider what, what gives ease to our lives and, and what causes more heaviness in our lives.
1: So is this something that you write down and reflect back on throughout the year or is it something you just think about?
0: it it could be something just to think about but i think it's more powerful and i think jack hanfield intended it to be a written exercise i like to do it now and then reflect on it maybe every month or every 90 days and then to really stay on track with huh what what is it that would truly you know give my life more sense of of contentment mm-hmm for a year from now.
1: I like that idea. I like that exercise. Yeah.
0: And then, by the way, if it feels like too much to do a year, you can break it down and do 90 days or even a month. If, right. if, if you feel like you don't, you don't want to get overwhelmed by the same token, some people can really look further, right? They can do a three-year vision or a five-year vision and you can get as detailed as you choose. It's really up to you
1: it kind of falls along with that whole manifestation state of mind where if you focus on something and put the action plans together you can help create that path for you so it's a good it's a good exercise
0: well, to from, do from a brain research point of view the more we focus and place our attention on on something that we want or something that we are interested in creating the synapses grow, right? The neural networks grow. So it, it's not just a new agey idea. Right, yeah. This is truly the, the synaptic connections at work.
1: Yeah, I mean I think manifestation people think it's like magic, but it's not. It's it's taking that thought and creating those connections, putting it into action and is the biggest piece.
0: And then again, with the putting it into action, I'm glad you said that I, I don't know what I would do without my therapist and my coach and my friends and people who can hold my intentions or sometimes my dreams with them that it's it's it takes a, a village sometimes.
1: Sure, yeah, absolutely. And we need to go bowling again. That's right. Bowling is definitely <laughs> on our agenda. <laughs> Thank
0: you. I look forward to it. And my sore legs look forward to that.
1: So um, finally, your colleague, am I pronouncing it right, Shelly Campbell? Yeah. She yeah. Um, shares about swimming with the dolphins. And who are these dolphins exactly? And, and why are they so important to folks in, in recovery?
0: It's interesting that you asked the question just after I was talking about community and and that it takes a village. So Chelly wrote a book years ago called The Wealthy Spirit. And in The Wealthy Spirit, she talks about dolphins, sharks, and tuna. Uh And she says that there's dolphins, sharks, and tuna all around us. And this is the kicker also inside of us. Mm -hmm. And that it's really our job to cultivate The dolphins inside of us and the dolphins around us. So using our friendship again, you're one of my favorite dolphins. And a dolphin, do you know what what dolphins are good at? Like what they're known for as as mammals? I
1: I always think of them as theta, like mind, not control, but like communication, that they're at another level of, of, of communicating.
0: Super communicators. Yeah. What else do you know about dolphins?
1: Um, they they swim, swim in pods. In pods. Yes. yes. They well, look out for each bad. other. Yes. Yeah. They're community. Yeah. They, they eat fish.
0: <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, they can be trained. <laughs> they can be trained. They actually, in some ways, are more advanced than humans. Right? right? There, there are ways of communicating are astounding and their ways of being with one another and respecting one another and looking after one another, even when they're sick or dying is, is just amazing. And they love to have sex. They're very sexual uh, mammals. And, um, and the other thing about dolphins is that they're really, about being together right they're they're they, they don't go off on their own right,
1: right? yeah they That's truly
0: swim together in pods and seem to i don't know that this is the fact but they just seem to have a lot of contentment right mm. and a lot of fun they play a lot right and 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 there is audible sounds that 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 sound like laughter right, right? yeah
1: the clicking and yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, true.
0: So, so they're very like improvisational, and and I, I admire dolphins quite a bit because I, I think that sometimes we forget that we ha- we all have those capabilities, and sometimes when we get caught up in our careers or in our crises or whatever it might be that takes us off track, that dolphins mm-hmm. really represent something of a higher being and so the idea of swimming with the dolphins is really noticing who nourishes you in your life and who depletes you in your life Mm -hmm. and if somebody depletes you number one why are you spending time with them but but also how can you set effective boundaries and if somebody nourishes you how can we really spend more time with that person right Because that's where we get fed. And that's actually part of our reduced vulnerability to relapse. And that we sometimes forget is that we're biologically wired for connection. And the more we're able to connect with others who really are in our corner and want the best for us and are emotionally reliable... Chances are that our contentment and our, our recovery in general is gonna be way stronger. Right. So that's why Chelly's idea of swimming with with the dolphins is just so brilliant. And I always thank Chelly for her use of uh of of that idea, that that analogy.
1: Yeah, I always heard that if you actually engage and swim with dolphins it in the moment, I don't know if you take it away with you, but when you're with them. That it does change your brain waves to a higher level, so I'd love to experience that. Have you ever experienced that?
0: I don't know. I I, I I'm wondering actually, as you say that, if when we're with somebody we enjoy, we also have a little bit of that brain wave yeah, change. I bet. So, if we were hooked up right now to. What do we have to get to figure this out? That's right. Some it's sort hard to say. Of, uh,
1: I'm that thinking of some sort of cap that, that has some sort of measure control controls on it. Right. It can measure right. our brain waves.
0: Yeah. And, and I think as we wind down our podcast tonight, I think there's something really powerful and kind of simple, right, about how contentment is something that we can be proactive with that it's not just about waiting for contentment to arrive on oh, our doorstep right. yeah no that this is all about taking action having accountability being mindful and knowing what are those ingredients that would be helpful to really hold on to and make sure we we cultivate yeah
1: I like that. It's like a challenge. It is
0: a challenge. It's it's actually a daily challenge, and it's not a finite project, right? It's it's a it's a lifestyle uh, piece that that if we hold this, just like gratitude, right? If we can hold gratitude, if we can hold contentment as something that helps us really have more enjoyment in the world, more life satisfaction that's really what it's all about because then there's going to be much less likelihood that we're going to want to go out and and get caught up in our addictive compulsive behaviors.
1: And I kind of feel like you can find connections not only with people, but I feel super connected in nature and that you can allow yourself time to explore that and, and take a step away from, you know, the, the day to day grind type of things and, and, Find, put yourself in a place where you can make a connection, whatever that means to you. Um, it might be with dolphins, it might be with a tree, but and obviously with people. But those are great ideas, and thanks for sharing all that with us.
0: You're so welcome, Sue. I, I thoroughly enjoy having you here, as always, and we will continue our conversations at another time. So thank you so much. Today we talked about cultivating contentment with my friend Sue Merlino and with the focus on what are the ingredients of contentment and how do we bring them into our daily lives. This is really a topic that doesn't get talked about that often in the recovery rooms. And I just wanted to make sure that we had a chance to open this dialogue today in order to discuss how it can reduce the vulnerability to relapse. Once again, appreciate you being with us today. And if you could give us a five-star rating, as well as a review, we would love to hear from you. And I thank you for being a part of our podcast today.